Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Lisa Rodriguez in for Nomeen Ujiadeen. Today is Tuesday, January 30th. Coming up, Last week, Kansas City lost a beloved and tireless worker on behalf of families who live in poverty. We became incorporated and we named it Operation Breakthrough for two reasons. We were going to break through poverty and it was during the Vietnam War and we thought the government would think it was part of the war effort and give us money, but that didn't happen. We'll hear more about the life of Sister Berta Saylor. Plus, electric school buses are arriving in districts across the Midwest. A federal program is sending the pricey machines to rural and low-income districts. You can't spend four times, three and a half times what you would for a regular bus. We'll stop by one early adopter in Missouri. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs are back home after their AFC championship win over the Baltimore Ravens Sunday. Greg Eklund reports they'll now begin to prepare for the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58 will be a rematch of number 54 when the Chiefs won their first NFL title in 50 years. But this year, the Chiefs have a much improved defense. Coach Andy Reid says it's one of the best units he's coached in his career. The guys are doing a great job. They're doing a great job with their eyes right now, and that'll be real important uh, in a couple weeks here when we play 49ers. The defense will face 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy, who can run the ball when he's out of passing options. The Chiefs resume practice on Thursday before leaving this weekend for Las Vegas. The Super Bowl is February 11th. Kansas City drivers are dodging potholes this week after freezing temperatures left roads in poor condition. KCUR's Jody Fortino reports. Kansas City's 311 line has received more than 600 new requests to fill potholes this week. Darian Robinson is the owner of DLR Towing and Recovery. He said this was the worst week he's seen in his seven years of towing. If I've had, I would say, 20 tows, at least 12 of them were because someone hit a pothole and busted their tire, bent their rim, broke their axle or something like that. These potholes are terrible out here. The city says it can fill hundreds of potholes a day and is focused on resurfacing streets to improve conditions in the long term. A new flight path for Kansas City's downtown airport will allow for higher density development in the River Market area. KCUR's Lawrence Brooks IV has more. The change means aircraft flying in and out of Charles Wheeler Airport will need to fly a thousand feet higher over the River Market District. Kansas City Manager Brian Platt says it'll make flying through downtown safer for planes and can help change the landscape there. These new developments bring more jobs, more housing, more affordable housing, more retail and restaurants. Platt said the increased airspace will not be enough to build what he called super mega skyscrapers, but will allow some projects that have been put on hold to proceed. We'll be right back after this break.
You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's going to be bumping. You got to be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Sister Berta Saylor died last Thursday. Saylor, with her friend and lifelong colleague, Sister Carita Busamas, founded Operation Breakthrough. Today, the child care center serves hundreds of kids and offers some of the most comprehensive services in the Kansas City region. Saylor was an irreverent rule breaker, but as KCUR's Laura Ziegler reports, she was also one of the community's most relentless advocates for families without resources. Every morning and afternoon at the corner of 31st and Troost, moms and dads have been dropping off their children at Operation Breakthrough, where programs have expanded to include health and dental care, physical and occupational therapy, meals and classes, as well as before and after school care. It was the late 1960s when Sister Berta, with her colleague and lifelong friend, Sister Corita Busenmas, who died in 2021, were teaching at St. Vincent de Paul on Kansas City's east side and living in a large parish house. It became clear that a lot of the mothers did not have a place to leave their children when they went to work. And, and you know, in those days, middle and upper class people, the wife stayed home and the husband worked. Well, a lot of our single moms needed childcare, and it wasn't a regulated industry then at all. So the sisters started caring for some of the kids at their house. They started with four, then 10, and 20, and as the word got out, the numbers grew. It was the Vietnam War era, and the nuns also housed conscientious objectors and hippies who helped out with the children. But word also got out to authorities, who said they were not allowed to care for infants without a license. She said, unless you're run by a well-known religious congregation. And I said to her, well, that's it. And we really didn't lie to her. We were two nuns, so we, we got a license. Sister Berta was pragmatic, a just-make-things-happen kind of administrator who would cut corners and operate outside the rules if it meant serving the women she called her moms. Wherever Sister Berta and Corita lived became an extension of their work. When I visited their house some years ago, a gaggle of seven or eight kids, toddlers to high schoolers, were roughhousing on the couch and playing like puppies. The nuns became licensed foster parents in the 1990s, and over the years, Sister Berta says she and Corita gave temporary homes to more than 75 kids. They legally adopted four. Chris Waxter was going to Operation Breakthrough as a 10-year-old when the sisters invited him over for the weekend. At the point in time, home was just a very rough place. Grew up with five other siblings. Uh, never know where your next meal is coming from. So one day, it was like, hey, why don't you come over uh, for a weekend? And I came over here that one weekend and never went back home. Operation Breakthrough's Director of Development, Jennifer Heinemann, says Berta was always thinking about their mission. It's just how she was wired. I think she probably slept maybe four hours a night. She would constantly come in and say, oh, you know, I was thinking this morning, and we would know that meant 2 a.m. when she wasn't sleeping. She had some grand vision and came in the next morning ready for all of us to execute it with her. Sister Berta didn't care about politics as long as you supported low-income families, and she was relentless in her efforts to persuade politicians and funders that her clients deserved the same level of services as all 
all other kids. Sister Berta's death leaves a practical and spiritual vacuum at Operation Breakthrough, says former executive director Susan Stanton. So, you know, I'm hopeful we'll be able to continue to um, to be, appeal to all kinds of funders. But, you know, will it be the same without Sister Berta and that amazing charisma that she has and all of the stories? No. In 2018, the building at 31st and Troost expanded to add an art studio, a gym, and high-tech science lab, giving some 600 students access to electronics, robotics, and graphic design. It also has resources for parents. The buildings are connected by a glass bridge over Troost, what Sister Berta always called the divide between poverty and prosperity. She was there when the bridge was dedicated and said she saw it as both a practical and symbolic win. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Ziegler. What was once a rare technology is now hitting roads across the Midwest. 5,000 electric school buses are arriving in districts, many of them in low-income or rural areas. It's part of a program through the Federal Environmental Protection Agency meant to help mitigate greenhouse gases. Harvest Public Media's Kate Grumke reports on how the buses are performing. Kids run through cold rain toward idling buses as school lets out in the Rawls County School District. About 800 students attend this rural district in Northeast Missouri. It has a fleet of 17 buses that pretty much all look the same. But two of these school buses are running on batteries. This school district is one of the first in Missouri to get these electric buses from a new federal program. On board, the kids are excited. Ninth grader Ian Joyner, who happens to be the driver's son, has noticed the difference. It's it's not as loud as the other ones, but it's definitely fun to ride this bus. Ian takes his seat as the drivers get the all clear to head home. All right, drivers, have a safe trip. Enjoy your night. The EPA's clean school bus program has sent at least one electric bus to almost every U.S. state and thousands more are on their way to school districts across the Midwest. So far, the federal government has invested $1.8 billion in the program throughout the country. It's funded by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. As more and more school districts try out this new technology, reviews are coming in. Well, I'm in love with the buses so far. That's Shawnee Public Schools Transportation Director John Wiles. His district is on the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's tribal lands in Shawnee, Oklahoma. They have two electric buses so far and should receive two more in the next month. A major benefit is the fact that these produce zero emissions. And so they can sit there in line uh, waiting for the kids to get out without creating any kind of breathing problems whatsoever. The lower greenhouse gas emissions from the electric buses also help slow climate change. But there's one big downside, the price tag. A new electric school bus can cost about three times more than a new diesel bus. Plus, districts have to install expensive charging infrastructure. At the same time, the electricity is less expensive per mile compared to diesel. Maintenance is also cheaper, in part because the buses don't need oil changes. But altogether, that still doesn't make up the cost difference. Jeff Dix is superintendent of two school districts in northern Iowa. One is Albert City Truesdale, which got an electric bus in December. You can't spend 
four times, three and a half times what you would for a regular bus. We actually have a solar field that provides electricity to our entire building, but that did make sense. That pays for itself in eight years. Sue Gander says that's why this federal program is so important. She's director of the Electric School Bus Initiative, an organization that wants to see the entire U.S. fleet go electric. The federal money, particularly in the last couple of years, has been, you know, has been really instrumental in in making a lot of this momentum possible. Back in Rawls County, transportation supervisor Eric Joyner drives one of the electric buses through a typical route on gravel roads between farms. He's really excited about these buses. I think it's fun. I like driving a school bus better than my own personal vehicle, so. (laughs) But he gets what some call range anxiety on his long rural routes. One time his battery got down to 8%. So when you start getting that low, you start to kind of panic a little bit, especially when you got kids on board. One of the buses had a technical problem early on, taking it out of service. And that experience makes it hard for Joyner to recommend them. Still, he says, this program has been great for cash-strapped rural school districts, mostly because it meant free buses. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Kate Grumke. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, based at KCUR. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Lisa Rodriguez. This podcast is produced by Anna Schmidt and KCUR Studios. It's edited by me and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Laura's obituary of Sister Berta Saylor and Kate's story about electric school buses, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.